What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here's the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, evangelization, catechesis, apologetics, uh, justice, charity, whatever it is, I will then sit with your questions, pray with them, study and hopefully respond in such a way that is good for you to become a saint. However, my disclaimer is this, I'm not perfect. Therefore, the advice that I share with you, the responses I give to you might not be good for you. If that's the case, then please reject whatever it is that I say. That does not help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and his church that he found 2,000 years ago. However, if my advice is helpful or difficult, then I want to give you the encouragement to please lean into Jesus Christ in prayer, in study, in fellowship, and in worship so that God can give you the graces that you may need to fulfill the demands of discipleship over time and your walk toward eternity. On today's show, uh, we have a special guest, a friend of mine who I thought I had on the show before, but I never did. Uh, his name is Father Philip Bochansky, uh, or as we call him here at LSU, Father Bo. <laughs> He's never been called that. You never recall that before, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's not his name. Uh, his name is Father Philip Bochansky. We met back in 2017 at the Seat Conference. And so one of the things about Father Philip and I, I think, I think you're also you lean more introvert, don't you? I know I do. Do you? Are you just like to hang out in the in the cry room with me? <laughs> well, a little bit of both. Okay. Good time at Seat at Seek that year. But yeah, I mean, although uh, I'm speaking in public a lot more than I used to, yeah, I, I'm pretty much an introvert for sure. Yeah, yeah. So we um, we bonded in the in the speaker's room and then became friends ever since. And so he's been it's a great resource uh, to me. Uh, he's also an author. He's written a couple of books. Your most recent book was the one on the Desert Fathers, right? Right. Wisdom of the Desert Fathers and Mothers. It was so good. So good. I remember uh, I was drawn to, I mean, obviously St. Mary of Egypt, you had Moses, uh, up in there and uh, so many others. And it was just, it was a great work that you did. So man, you're, you're, you're a gift to the church. But so Father Philip is the director for the Courage Apostolate. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Courage Apostolate is? And because this show's gonna be different in that I'm just gonna talk to Father Philip about everything regarding same to attraction. As a priest, as a pastor, as a minister, I have walked with so many people in my diocese and, and even through this ministry of Ask Father Josh across the world who experience same-sex attraction, homosexual tendencies, who identify with the gay lifestyle. I've walked with parents um, and siblings uh, and even children of people in our community who, again, either experience same-sex attractions, have homosexual tendencies, or identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, etc. And so this is going to be a show like that I've always wanted to do, basically to where if someone comes to me, after I initially walk with them, I could point them to this this particular show, uh, so that we can give them a resource to to just know more what the church says and, and how Jesus wants to accompany them and us uh, whenever we are, are experiencing this in our life. So, Father Philip, uh, can you tell us a little bit about Courage Apostolate and how you got plugged in with this particular ministry? Sure. So, Courage was founded uh, about forty years ago, uh, in September nineteen eighty. At the, it was really kind of the, the idea of Cardinal Cook, who was the Archbishop of New York in those days. And uh, he had been meeting a lot of people that today we would talk about being uh, on the margins of the church, um, whether it was uh, about their experience of same-sex attraction or marginalized because of racism or sexism or poverty or mm -hmm. anything like that. So uh, it started when Cardinal Cook uh, wanted to have kind of an office uh, in the Archdiocese of New York to particularly look out for people on the margins. So um, he approached Father Edwin O'Brien, who was a, 
I think his priest secretary for a while. He's now a cardinal himself and uh, retired in Rome. And he asked Father O'Brien, you know, who do we know that could uh, help people who experience same-sex attractions, but who want to live according to the teachings of the church? There was a group called Dignity that had been founded a couple years before, but they were not uh, on board with the church's teaching about chastity. And so he said, we need to have an alternative to that. So Father Edwin O'Brien uh, reached out to Father Benedict Rochelle, who a lot of people will know. CFRs. Uh, the founder of the CFRs, uh, you know, certainly a, a great speaker. And uh, Father Groeschel knew uh, an oblate of St. Francis de Sales named Father John Harvey. Uh, Father Harvey was in his early 60s at the time, uh, but he, since the 1950s, had been writing and uh, teaching uh, uh, moral theology and was one of the first people to really write uh, a modern discussion of the church's teaching on homosexuality. And in the 70s, he had started having uh, retreats for priests and religious brothers who experienced same-sex attraction, but wanted to live their, their chaste celibate commitment faithfully. And so that's how he knew Father Grishel. Father Grishel said, Cardinal Cook wants us to get something started here. So uh, they sat down with a couple other people that Father Harvey knew from his work and uh, kind of put together, you know, what will this look like? What will it be? So can I just stop you right sure. real quick? So right, you just said that there, it was also started because there were a number of brothers and priests who experienced same-sex attraction. And so I think just for our, our listeners to be aware, like this is something that is not only experienced by the laity, but also for people who are in religious life, vow religious life and, and consecrated a life as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and we can probably circle back to that mm -hmm. uh, too, because the church does have some pretty clear, uh, instructions these days about um, when a person who's considering the priesthood or religious life is experiencing this. Um, but, you know, Father was dealing with people who had already mm -hmm. been ordained or professed for a while and and uh, were experiencing this, wanted to, to stay faithful to the vows. Yeah, I think it's an important distinction, right? The church does have a, a good teaching. We'll, we'll address that as a vocation director. Um, when I'm walking with, with young men, there's a, a difference between deep-seated homosexual tendencies and I, I would, I guess you could just say just an experience of... Yeah, the church talks about uh, a, an orientation that's deeply rooted, where someone is kind of identifying with that as kind of who they are and how they're made, as uh, distinguished from from attractions that seem to be connected with other issues in the person's life mm -hmm. that, you know, could be uh, addressed or resolved uh, if the person's willing to to do that. So it's, it's a moment of discernment. Yeah. Uh, in the bigger question of discerning a vocation. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so Father Harvey had experience from, from those retreats, and um, they gathered this first little chapter. I think there were maybe four or five men who met that first time at mm -hmm. uh, the St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Shrine in uh, Lower Manhattan. And they just, they prayed together. They talked about their experience, what they were looking for from the church. I think for them, courage was kind of a, a landing pad. You know, they when they want, decided to, to go back to church and to, to live chastely, they lost a lot of their friends in the gay community who didn't understand or really were hostile towards the Catholic Church. But at the same time, they didn't know when they came back to the church if there'd be a place for them. Uh, there's still a lot of discrimination and a lot of misunderstanding of, you know, is it really even possible to live a chaste life? And uh, people who kind of associated feeling the feeling with being a sinner, right? Mm. Um, so courage was a place where they could, was kind of like their first step back towards living the faith more fully. So Kurz is, is offering people a sense of, of authentic community, right? Exactly. Because I, I, even, I know within the gay community, like there are, are, are people who right now are rejecting 
And one of my friends is a, is a Catholic speaker. She is living out chaste celibacy. She experienced the same sense of attraction. She is a disciple of Jesus Christ. She's been a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, but her, again, she still is attracted to women, but she's living out chaste celibacy. And right now she's being uh, harassed online uh, by other brothers and sisters in the gay community because because of her stance and her choice to to live out chastity and to invite others to as well. And I think we really have to, to be compassionate to people even when they're being hurtful and, and mm. even hateful. Yeah. Like you don't you don't develop that much anger and act on that much anger towards a complete stranger unless there's something in you that's really hurting. Yeah. And I think people who would reject the Catholic Church often feel that they've been rejected by the church, mm. even if that's just in the the person of their their parents or family members or one priest who uh, wasn't prepared for that conversation. Which not to excuse hurtful behavior on the side of the church either, right? But but I think we really have to try to be patient and try to understand where they're coming from, not react with the same kind of uh, anger that we might be receiving. Because after all, I mean, I, I know your friend, she's my friend as well, and she's just telling her story. And whether you agree with somebody's conclusions or not, you can't say it's not her real story. And yeah. To just kind of, uh, you know, I think that when people are doing this online, of course, they're, they're anonymous. And so they say whatever they want without fearing any consequences. Mm. But to like lash out at a stranger and say her story isn't true and you just mm. don't like her, like... I think that says more about the person who's attacking her than, than the person yeah, who's being attacked. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so that, that little group in, in New York, they came up with five goals that they were going to live by. So first goal, to live a chaste life, uh, according to how the church teaches about sexual morality. And what does that mean? Well, chastity in the catechism is defined as the successful integration of sexuality within the wholeness of the person, right? So it means that we understand God's plan for man and woman. We understand God's plan for marriage, which is a relationship that's permanent and faithful based on complementarity and open to procreativity. That that's the, the kind of unique context in which sexual intimacy is, is not just appropriate, but good and holy and blessed. And that anyone who's not with their spouse, right, should control their thoughts and control their uh, decisions so that they're not being sexually intimate with somebody who's not their spouse and not pursuing someone for a sexual relationship who could never be their spouse. So for single people, whether we're talking about consecrated people or ordained or just single people living in the world, it means you're not acting sexually with, with anybody because you don't have a spouse. And then for married people, it means that you're faithful to your spouse and uh, your relations are open to having children, etc. Um, so for people experiencing same-sex attractions who aren't pursuing person of the opposite sex with hope of marriage, it means celibacy, essentially, you know, it means, uh, you, you know, keeping chastity and keeping uh, purity in mind and heart and body. So then the other four goals support the first goal, to develop a life of prayer and dedication to the Lord and ser through service to others and the sacraments and daily meditation, spiritual direction. Third goal is to create an environment within what we call the Courage Chapter, the local group, where everyone can share their thoughts and experiences and emotions and know that the people around are going to understand, they're going to receive that well. Maybe they'll respond from their experience and, and just kind of support one another in growing in virtue. The fourth goal is to recognize that, that chaste friendships are not only necessary, but not only possible, but necessary 
in growing in chastity and to, to work on forming good friendships in the group and outside the group. And do you, do you guys give them tools on how to cultivate healthy, mature friendships as yeah, well? Sure. Um, you know, I mean, everybody's there because they've made a commitment to live chastely and a commitment to support one another. So that's certainly going to be the foundation of friendship. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we've got lot, lots of good resources, especially at our annual conference for our members. Uh, we talk a lot about what does friendship look like? How do you know the difference between friendship and eros, which is that kind of passionate love that leads towards marriage and sexual union? Yeah, so that's we give them resources even just in in the the guidance of the very practically speaking just like for the listeners friends don't sleep in the same bed together all right I, just saying like the very least, yeah. i'm just saying like i mean, I, walk, I walk with some people like well can i at least like just like cuddle i'm like no 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 fr- friends don't cuddle now we don't we don't do that so uh you you sleep in your own bed <laughs> no, for sure, because, because, you know eros wants to give and receive a total gift right and if the beloved is a human person, then a total gift of a human being is body and soul. So if we kind of play around with flirtation and infatuation and getting touchy and cuddly and that kind of stuff, even when people say, look, I know the sixth commandment, Father Josh, I know the theology of body, like we're not going to do anything, but we just want to be exclusive. We want to like share a room. We want to be, you know, share our home. Those are the beginnings of, of arrows, right? It's, it's, and it's a near occasion. Yeah, exactly. And and you, at least they're setting themselves up to eventually, you know, be pushed beyond their their ability to resist. You know, so better to kind of put aside those those desires for exclusivity and and uh, and what's really romance and pursue friendship instead. And if you can't put aside the romantic interest, then you may have to step away from the person for the sake of a friendship. Mm, that's powerful. Yeah, that's good stuff. So whenever I encounter um, a young person, high school student, who will come to me and say, "Father, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm gay." Like, what, what is a good thing for a priest to 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 do to say? How can a priest accompany them in a way that's going to help them to become a saint and to flourish in their walk toward eternity? Well, I think the first thing we say is thank you because we have to remember, like, it's never easy. Even I mean, you're a very approachable person, and they know that you love them. But uh, even then, it's not easy to tell someone that you care about that this mm-hmm. is in your life if you're not sure how they're going to react. So thank you for trusting me with this. Thank you for sharing your life in such a you know, personal, uh, personal way. And I think after that, we say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say a whole lot right now because like, you've been thinking about this for a long time. And it's new to me that this is in your life. right? But here's what I want you to know. I know that this is important to you but I don't think it's the only important thing about you and you know truth be told I I don't I don't think it's the most important thing about you the most important thing about you is that you are a son or daughter of God that he's created you in his image and likeness that he has a plan for your life which includes a plan for your body for your heart for your relationships you know maybe it includes marriage maybe not maybe it includes a religious vocation maybe not but you know he has a plan and I think, you know, the best thing that we could do is talk about that plan, talk about the big story. And when you say marriage, you mean marriage to some of the opposite sex, of course. Yeah. You know, and if if you're willing to share your life, you know, with me, not just this one aspect of it, but like, I want to know who you are, where you come from, you know, uh, where you think your life is going, what you are successful in, what you're struggling with. You know, what it was like growing up, what your family is like, who your friends are, what you think about God, what you think God thinks about you, you know, your your joys and your sorrows, right? Your your hopes and your dreams. I just want to hear as much of your story as you're willing to tell me. 
And the best way to understand this part of your story is in the context of the whole story of your life. And the best way to understand the story of your life is in the context of God's plan for all of us and for his plan for you in particular. So, I mean, that's a lot to like, you know, keep in mind. I think the three things we want to say to somebody is, I love you. I believe God has a plan for your life and I want to hear your story. And we take it from there, right? And we have, we should try to help people not to reduce their story to one aspect or I'm LGBT or this is the label that will tell you everything that you need to know about me. Right. One of our members wrote a, wrote a real powerful book. The title was, I'm not gay. I'm David. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, God, I saw something online one time. It says the devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Mm. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. Right. And so to encourage people to not identify themselves. Now if feeling, Attractions to a person of the same sex is not a sin in itself. Yeah. So yeah. So the, for anyone who experiences same sex attraction, there is no sin you're committing by having an experience right. of being attracted to a person of the same sex. Feeling a feeling that's yeah. not under somebody's conscious control. It's not somebody's choice to feel it. A sin would be to actively pursue it, to to look at pornography, to objectify someone in your mind, to engage in an unhealthy, unchaste relationship. Right. And the reason that that same sex relationships are unchaste is because same-sex actions uh, are not complementary, right? There's that or to life. You know, two people of the same sex can't have that one flesh union that the scripture talks about. And as you say, they're, they're closed off to the gift of new life. And so just the same as uh, adultery or fornication or pornography or masturbation or contraception, like they're all, the church considers all those things gravely wrong or another term we use for it is disordered because there's something important about the plan of God for sexuality, the ordering of sexuality that's missing in each of those things. And that's the same reason that the church teaches that, that homosexual acts are disordered. And it doesn't mean we don't use that term in the way that medical doctors or psychologists right. use it. It doesn't mean the whole, the person's whole life is disordered. It just means something important in the ordering of sexuality, the plan for sexuality, in this case, uh, procreativity and complementarity are missing. And because they're always missing those relationships, then the church says the the disorder is intrinsic. It comes from the nature of the action. So yeah, that, that, that term intrinsically or objectively disordered can be hard to hear the first time if you don't know where it's coming from. But the church is simply saying there are essential elements to make sex holy and good and life giving that's going to lead us to eternity. That's permanent, faithful, uh, procreative and complement. And I think it's important that you're saying this because I think a lot of people in our community uh, who listen to the podcast uh, probably are on contraception, right? And it's for them, they also hear like, right, we're not just saying that that like homosexual sex, gay sex is disordered. We're also saying that contraception is as well. It's not it's ordered. The same reason. It, yeah, exactly the same reason. So like to to be convicted by that uh, as, as much as we're convicted by every other church teaching as well. There's a song I like from um, uh, the Civil Wars. It came out a long time ago, like maybe 2011 or 2012, maybe even before then. But anyways, one of the lines, my favorite line of the song, and I don't know if you sing, Father Philip, but it says, uh, the less I give, the more I get back. And so you hear that, you're like, the less I give, the more I get back. Like, no, that, that doesn't sound right. But what he's saying is, the less I give to my wife, the more I get her back. She turns her back to me. 
because if I'm if I'm if I'm contracepting, I'm giving less of myself. She's gonna perceive that I'm not giving my full self to her. I'm holding something back from her, and so she's going to turn her back on me and and resist me because she knows I'm not fully giving myself away to her. Like Jesus fully gives everything on the cross. Anyways, profound theology of the body in that song by the Civil War is called Poison and Wine. Check it out; it's amazing. I sang it when I tried it for American Idol many years ago. Didn't get anywhere, but I did. I did sing. Okay, back to the show. Back to the show. <laughs> so speaking of uh, disorders, uh, my <laughs> my singing ability is not ordered towards heaven. But um, yeah. So there we are. ADD. Uh, back to the show. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about uh, God's plan. For That's right. There we go. There we go. And how to get that across to somebody who, you know, is. Is struggling to figure out, you know, who am I, right? And and what is my life about? And that's, I mean, young people always have to answer those two big questions: who am I, and what is sex about? And you know, through all of human history, till like half an hour ago, we had structure in family and school and church and culture that helped us to navigate those things, right? And I think today we're so isolated from each other, so like just atomized by, by it's, it's curious because like social media says here, join a huge network of friends, but ultimately it just gets us down into little groups that think like we do. And then gives us reasons to stay online instead of seeing anybody in real life. Mm-hmm. So we're very isolated. People don't want to bother with anybody else's messy situation. And so what we tell young people today is, well, you know, you answer one question with the other, whoever you're into, whoever you're attracted by, that's who you are. Mm. And labels like that kill dialogue. They kill friendship, you know, because it gives people the excuse not to get to know another person to just say, oh, fine, you're going to put that label on yourself. Um, that's all I need to know about you. Mm. And pretty soon that person starts to feel like, well, if that's all that anybody's interested to know about me, maybe that's the only important mm. thing there is to know about me. You know, this must be who I am. And then they, they're reducing their own identity, you know, when really God's calling them to be uh, his son or daughter, brother, sister to Christ, someone with a, a vocation and, and somewhere to go, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think we, you know, we really have to help people to expand their idea of who they are, to expand the idea of what love means, right? Like you and I are, are celibate priests, right? But we, we're certainly not living loveless lives, yeah. right? Um, but the world says today, like the, the only important relationships are sexual relationships and every strong feeling must be a sexual feeling. And so if you don't have a sexual partner, uh, then you got nothing and the church is going to condemn you to a, a lonely life. And our lives are certainly not lonely, right? <laughs> For sure. There are moments when it'd be nice to have, you know, a spouse to come home to, or, you know, kids to, you know, uh, to, be running around the house there are moments when you come back to the rectory uh, after a long day or even after like a real joyful day like christmas or easter and come back to a house that's kind of empty and you know there's those are the sacrifices that we make but i don't know i mean i got lots of love in my life yeah i love my family and my family loves me i love my friends my friends love me i love my parishioners and most of my parishioners most not all (laughs) some hate you probably it's just that that the world that thinks is very like enlightened and liberated has such a narrow view of what love really is um and i think chastity in all its forms and certainly for our members of courage uh chastity sets us free to live in love authentically and and they find relationships and friendships that they, they didn't even know would be there and happiness is found in holiness like whenever we are in 
obedience to the word of God, like that's where we're going to experience freedom. That's where we're going to experience the the joy that only the Lord can give us, right? A, a finite person could never fully satisfy us or, or quench our thirst. And so whenever we settle for this person's going to make me happy, it's never going to work. It just can't. Um, I, I think sometimes we think because there's a desire there, that means we have to act on that desire. Uh, but everything that we desire is not good for us. And this goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve. Whenever she looked upon the tree, it was desirable, it was it was something, but God told her that's not good for you. So, but you, remember remember how that that temptation worked because it's it's literally the oldest trick in the book, right? And the devil still uses it because it still works. Mm-hmm. She's there in paradise. Everywhere around her, there are hundreds and thousands of of beautiful gifts, anything she could possibly want, everything that she needed, things she didn't even know that she needed, and they're all within arm's reach. And she was perfectly happy with that until the serpent says hey what about that thing why do you think that's off limits right Mm. and you know as you say the scripture says she looked at it she saw that it looked good that it looked like it tasted good that it would be good for her to gain knowledge because then she'd be like god and then the serpent just kind of lets her mind go and uh she says well why wouldn't god want me to have that and why why shouldn't i have that and what's god's motive for keeping that for me so she's focused on the one thing that she doesn't have and everything in paradise that she does have fades into the background and seems bitter and dry and hard because she there's one thing that she doesn't have and that's where she loses her trust in god's plan when she takes her eyes off of god's gifts to her Mm. and uh, then she takes what wasn't offered to her because well if i can't trust his motives i'm gonna look out for myself grasping (laughs) the same in every temptation you know whether it's something that is off limits to us when we have so many you know we have so many other relationships that bring us love and joy but i'm not allowed to be with that person so uh you know god must not love me or god must not know what i need or god must not want me to be happy so i'm gonna look out for myself instead of trusting in the lord right and the thing is like before the original sin adam and eve had no reason not to trust the lord Mm mm-hmm after the original sin, Adam and Eve still had no reason not to trust the Lord, but they were ashamed of themselves. And they thought that his, his view of them was the same as the way they looked at themselves. So they stopped trusting him. And like the whole rest of salvation history is God trying to convince us that he's trustworthy, that he knows what we need, and that he really does want to make us happy. And that's one thing that courage also the apostolate provides for people who have been living the lifestyle, who have even been married, but are now somewhat open to, well, what does the church have to say? Because I've walked with couples who were married, uh, same-sex couples who were married, and then decided after walking with me to live chaste lives of celibacy and to to no longer live as wife and wife. Uh, And and they were totally misunderstood by their community and and ostracized by the community that they had formed, but but they began to live it out, right? Because there was something more for them. And I think courage is one of those those gifts, especially for people not only who are just beginning to uh, bring to the light their experiences, but uh, that might have been hidden in darkness for many years. But for people who have been out and open for many years uh, with those lifestyles, like this is an apostolate for you to to find other brothers and sisters who can accompany you to true happiness because because only the Lord's will will satisfy us in our walk toward eternity. 
uh, sin cannot satisfy. And so if we engage in in things that God tells us not to do, we're never going to be fully happy. And so no matter how much we try to tell ourselves, it's not going to, we, we can't be. Yeah, and we need friends to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. Need, we need Simons of Cyrene that can help us to carry our, our individual burden. And, you know, I think Pope Francis has been so good about, um, you know, talking about welcome and accompaniment in terms of people who are, whether it's homosexual relationship or any other uh, thing that's not part of God's plan, right? That it takes time to hear the word, it takes time to embrace it, and then it takes a long time sometimes to live it out. Um, but that we we help people by walking with them. And you know, with the first long interview that he gave to a journalist after he became pope, uh, this topic came up, and you know, he ended up. It was almost seemed like a tangent in the interview, but you know, he he said he said in life, God accompanies persons, real people. And we must accompany them starting from their situation. We must accompany them with mercy, right? which is why the best pastoral question, I think, is always tell me your story. Yeah. And if we start by listening to where a person is coming from, uh, listening to the desires of their heart, um, letting them tell us about their relationships and, and why they're in them and what they're looking for. If we take somebody's story seriously, I think sometimes it's the first time that they might be taking it seriously as opposed to just, well, this is what I do because... I found out that this makes me feel better or whatever, you know, to ask good follow-up questions like, so are you happy? And are you finding what you're looking for? And, or have you, you know, kind of compromised and, and settled for something else? You know, and just, I mean, to be real honest and say, look, this is not my experience. I, I don't know what this feels like from the inside, but if you're willing to talk about it, I, I'm willing to listen. I really would like to know what's going on. Then, you know, it's like the Lord walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You know, all that is basically, here, tell me your story, because I really want to know. I really want you to put all the emotion and truth into it that's there. Uh, but then I'd like to share some more of the story. And maybe we understand your story in the light of the bigger story of the gospel. That's beautiful. Now, at the beginning of the show, we, we mentioned uh, religious vocations, uh, how there are consecrated sisters or brothers, there are priests who may experience same-sex attraction. Uh, and... Can you speak to that about as far as discernment goes? If someone is they're in college right now and their their friends are some of them are getting engaged, some of them have applied to religious orders or uh, been accepted to to different dioceses to discern uh, at particular seminaries, and they're like, "Well, what about me? Like, could I ever have a vocation, a consecrated vocation? Could I ever have a vocation to the priesthood today?" Being that the church has a newer document, I think it came out in what two thousand five or. 2005 on, on homosexuality with regards to discerning vocation. So can you explain what that document says and then what that would mean for that person who uh, is feels called, but also is aware that they're attracted to people of the same sex? Sure. Well, I think, first of all, it, I have to say real clearly that if someone is attracted to, to the same sex and therefore it doesn't feel like marriage to the opposite sex is ever going to be a possibility, that's not a reason to pursue a priestly or religious vocation. Yeah, it's not the only other option, right? And um, you know, I think there are lots of people that live very um, important, uh, meaningful vocations, living chastely in the world and offering their celibacy for the sake of the kingdom in the world. Yeah, so single vocation is is not second best, and it's not a consolation prize, right? So, yeah, John Paul II talks a lot about personal vocation. So, like, there's there's a state of life vocation to the priesthood of religious life. Uh, to, to marriage, consecrated virginity. There is the, the ultimate vocation to become saints. There's the vocation to the present moment, but John Paul II highlights a personal vocation uh, as well, which I think is important for us to, to dive into, but not right now. Yeah. 
Um, and so, you know, but if someone genuinely feels called, then, then the church gives some important guidance. And it says, you know, first of all, someone who's living actively in same-sex relationships, or I would say even kind of struggling a lot with same-sex pornography, that's not a person who should, is ready for the seminary because you can't be preparing for a celibate life if you're not living a celibate life. Mm-hmm. Um, and a person who is identifying as gay and maybe involved in activism or you know trying to ask the church to change its teaching or just disregarding the church's teaching, that's not a candidate for the seminary because you can't be ordained to preach the truth if you're not living the truth, right? So then the third category is people who are experiencing these attractions in such a way that they would be deeply rooted in them, that this is how they identify. You know, sometimes they would use the expression, well, God made me this way, you know, and that's, um, as we were talking about before, that's kind of, that's a distortion of our identity as, as children of God, all made with the same image and likeness, all made with the same plan. Um, and so a person who's, uh, whose sense of their identity is, is deeply rooted in, in homosexual identity, they're not necessarily sinning. They might be very chaste people, but uh, it's gonna that's gonna be uh, make it very difficult to relate in an authentic, healthy way with the people that they're called to serve. So it doesn't mean they're not good Christians. It doesn't mean they can't be disciples of the Lord. It doesn't mean they can't be saints, <laughs> right? Precisely, and uh, but it does mean that the particular things that the church needs a priest to do in relationship uh, are going to be made unnecessarily difficult, and so better to choose another vocation. So then the, the, the kind of the, the last category of people who, you know, they, they don't want this attraction. They're not quite sure where it comes from. They haven't been acting on it, um, but it's there. Um, and where they and the church can perceive, well, you know, the things that kind of trigger that or make it more difficult to live with are, seem to be connected to other aspects of their lives. And there's not a one-size-fits-all story, so probably not good to go into all yeah. those things. But, but if the person is willing to talk about it, to try and understand like what it's about, where it's coming from. And then if it seems to be connected to other issues in their sense of themselves or sense of relationships or, or whatever, that addressing those things make the power of the same sex attractions less in their lives. Well, then that person can proceed, you know, but it, there's gotta be discernment on both sides. Right. And um, I think, you know, the, the absolute thing we have to say is, if a, if a person is thinking about a vocation and experiencing these attractions and saying to themselves, I'll never, ever, ever tell my vocation director or my formators about this, just drop it, right? Yeah. You know, because that's that's a recipe for a very uh, painful, difficult life to keep everything hidden. So best to put it out there and let the church discern with you uh, what's going on in your life. And if the answer is, well, this is not the, the diocese of the order for you, um, fine. We have to trust the Lord to speak his will through the people who he's put in charge of. Yeah, sometimes God says no. Whenever the, the demoniac man who was possessed by legion asked Jesus to, to follow him, Jesus said no. He said, you can't follow him. He said, you, you need to stay here and walk with these people in this land and share your testimony. And because he's obedient to that place and that space that God told him to stay in, he bore supernatural fruit and they came to marvel at God. And so if the church tells anyone who is trying to discern a vocation to religious life or priesthood, no, 
It's not no, you're not called to be a saint. It's not no, God doesn't love you. It's no, we've discerned that this is not God's plan for you and your walk toward eternity to walk with us. So go be a saint as a single person, or if you can pursue marriage with someone of the opposite sex, go pursue marriage with the opposite sex. But like that, God still has a plan for you, even if it's not what you thought that plan was. So don't feel discouraged or despair because uh, the, the priesthood might not be an option for you, or religious life might not be an option for you. God still has a plan for you to become a saint and form saints in your own unique, particular way in the context of your life. We're running out of time, but there's one more important question. It's for parents. So you, you mentioned what a preacher say. I imagine a, a mother and a father should probably say the same thing if their child first comes to them and says that, hey, like this is, this is my experience. And, and, and the, the mother or father, obviously they didn't know. They weren't aware of it, but it's probably best for them to like do what a preacher do, which is, hey, like I love you. I want to hear your story. And I want to walk with you. And like, we can have multiple conversations. We don't need to have everything said in this one hour right now. No, that's right. Uh, <clears throat> you know, be your, your son or daughter's parent, not their priest. Like, don't try and, a lot of parents like are looking for the right podcast or um, video or, or resource to give to their kid to like fix this. It's not about fixing them. It's about loving them and letting them know that your love for them is not contingent on their, you know, fixing this or doing something about it or whatever, like that your love for them as their parent is constant. And another part of our apostle is called Encourage. And we pursue similar goals with parents and loved ones to help them, give them a place to talk about how they're feeling, uh, to learn from each other's experience and really hand things over to the Lord. So there's a Courage website, Courage. CourageRC.org. And then there's Encourage is. Uh, at the same website. Same website as Courage. And these are available to you. There's also a conference that takes place Every year? Yeah, um, usually in July. I think next year's going to be at the end of July. Awesome. And then there are also other resources that um, can be available to you on those websites. But again, uh, if you are experiencing same-sex attractions, you are not alone. You're, you're not a sinner for experiencing same-sex attractions. God sees you, knows you, loves you through and through, but he has a particular plan for your life. And uh, his plan is, is the best plan for your happiness uh, and your happiness is always rooted in holiness, which is rooted in, in his word uh, and the church's teachings and the tradition of the church as well. So uh, don't ever settle for mediocrity. And you're as St. John Paul II always says, do not be mediocre, uh, but but go out into the deep to be great saints. Um, holiness is for you. Heaven is, is for you. And it will require, like many of us and all of us, we all have to make certain sacrifices to persevere in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, no one said that, uh, walking toward eternity would be easy, but but as many of the saints who preceded us in our walk toward eternity uh, can testify whenever we do pick up our cross by the grace of God and walk toward Jerusalem with Jesus, even though it's painful, there's always joy in the resurrection on the other side. And so, so be saints, be saints. And I thank you, Father Philip. We're about to go celebrate Mass, which is why I'm wrapping up the show right now. And But it's been a gift to have you, and I would love to have you on for more conversations where we could talk about particular particular things. Uh, like I'm sure many parents have questions about like, well, what happens if and when my child decides to get married outside the church? And what happens about the reception if it's my brother, sister, or friend? And, and uh, what happens if they adopt? All those questions can be addressed in a later show, but for this show, I think this was sufficient just to make it very clear that the church is wanting to accompany um, all people um, in in their walk toward becoming saints. So thanks, Father Bochansky. <laughs> thanks, Father Josh. God bless.